Do you feel like you've just re-emerged from the podcast birth canal? I'm sure you've played your fair share of drinking games, have you not? The great sport of chess boxing. Invented by my fraternity, it's now outlawed. I'd like to be an orthopedist in the Cotswolds. Eel pulling. With razor sharp edges, we're also flying around in the pile. A new era in smart drivel starts now. What does that mean, John? It means Kurt Schneider and John Ellenthal are about to do embark start the second century, the second hundred smart dribble episodes. Kurt, do you feel reborn in any way? I feel renaissanceical, John. Do you feel like you've just reemerged from the podcast birth canal? <laughs> yes. And guess what? You might want to the, clean yourself off. Yes, exactly. But I'm all good. And I left you and the placenta behind. Okay. Well, that's probably not the first time placenta has come up, but we probably want to keep that to a minimum. So, John, today's topic is going to be a fun one. And this is coming because baseball, they're striking. Basketball, there's their March Madness is starting. Football is the Super Bowl is done and trades are happening. So sports are in the news all the time and what's going on. And then you realize, wait a second, do we just think about these few sports that are in the mindset and the press all the time? No, there are hundreds of crazy sports and there have been for hundreds and thousands of years. So we're going to delve into the underbelly, the weird side, the different side of sports. So absurd sports. Well, you and I tend to talk about topics that are not right smack down the middle of the fairway. So this makes sense. That was a sports analogy for you, Kurt. But it did occur to me watching the Olympics, the Winter Olympics recently, that there were a lot of sports that I had never seen before, sort of like the X Games had been absorbed by Olympic sports. So clearly, the world is no longer satisfied by the traditional sports. And we're going to talk about plenty of sports that are not traditional. Would you like to go first, Kurt? Sure. I'm going to start with something that's going to be. I guarantee you've never heard of it before. It's called Kotabos or Kotabos. Not only have I not heard of it, I doubt I could pronounce it. Kotabos sounds Greek, right? Think ancient Greece. John, you know, because you're a guy who went to college, grew up yeah. in America. I'm sure you've played your fair share of drinking games. Have you not? Whale's Tales on too. Whale's Tales, Zoom Schwartz, Perfigliano, Dice, Flip Cup. Quarters, thumper, palm. I mean, oh, we could do a whole episode on thumper. You had to clap your hands and then 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 hit your thighs. I think quarters was my favorite. Did you have a favorite drinking game, Kurt? Well, beer pong in college, but before that, I loved quarters. Yes, I didn't ask if you had a favorite drinking game of last week, Kurt. I saw the pictures. Kurt went to visit his son, one of his sons in college at Northwestern last week, and there's video of Kurt and his son excelling at a game of beer pong. And it was very difficult from looking at the picture, who was the father and who was the son? Well, at one part, in order to see who got to shoot first, 
I challenged my son in a chug off and I beat him chugging. So my team got to go first because I was playing against him. Anyway, Kotobos. So, you know, this is an ancient Greek game, drinking game, and it is flinging of wine. So what you would do is you would stay reclined, relaxed. You drink some wine. Yes. You drink wine out of your goblet. And when it's almost done, you take it. And with a flick of the wrist, you try to fling what's left in your wine without it losing its shape into a target in sort of a bassinet. Basin, not a bassinet. A basin. bassinet. I was going to ask what happens if the wine got into the baby's mouth. Uh, the baby's learned to babies. drink early. <laughs> and it was a huge betting competition. And these guys, because you could bet so much money on them, were heralded as such great athletes at the time that they were held in the same regard as the Olympians were. You could run a marathon or throw a javelin or fling a Kotobos wine. Well, how do you think you would have done at that game, Kurt? Excellently, John. I'm very good at all drinking games. It's basically an ancient Greek drinking game is what it comes down to. Uh, Sans the bassinet. Correct. The basin is what I meant. Yeah. So I think when you look at a lot of sports, Kurt, it's ultimately a blend between a mental battle and a physical battle. Obviously, all sports have a physical component to it, but there's a lot of strategy and gamesmanship and mental strength that gets called into it. I mean, I think all sports meet that definition, but I think one sport meets that definition more than any other sport. It is the ultimate blend of the mental and the physical. I am, of course, referring to the great sport of chess boxing, which chess chess boxing, which easily makes the list of absurd sports. So believe it or not, Kurt, and this is true, this is true. The players, the two players alternate between a game of chess and a boxing match. They go back and forth sometimes in as many as 11 rounds. And the one to win is the one who either achieves a checkmate or a knockout first. Chess boxing, taking two things that have nothing to do with one another and probably shouldn't and mashing them up into a brand new sport. The quintessential absurd sport, Kurt. I actually, it makes complete sense to me. It's maybe because I have had a lot of concussions, but here's why it makes sense to me. Because of what you start off in the beginning, sports are all about thinking two, three, four moves ahead, especially in wrestling and boxing and sports such as those. So in boxing, you're setting your guy up all along, just like chess. It is a very similar sport. So I could see, okay, I'm doing the right hook, right hook, right hook, because I'm waiting for the left uppercut. I'm using my pawn. You can take my pawn. You can take my pawn. Because boom, with the rook. You're not, you're not actually playing both at the same time. You alternate back and forth. So ah. it's not like someone goes to make a move on the chessboard, drops their guard, and gets clocked. Damn, that would be better. Well, that could be your version of chess boxing. So if you choose to play that, I look forward to you finding a partner and having it videoed. Okay. Recorded. You talk about outrageous sports, which that is. How about, and I'll give you the Dutch name for this one. Bokdrolspoig. That's where you pass the Dutchie upon the left-hand side? (laughs) No, this is... The Afrikaners who colonized Africa, 
They, it's, they play it exclusively to this day. And what happens is you find, if you're hunting kudu, which are these kudu antelopes, which are beautiful, the kudu antelope is very smart and very fast. So sometimes it takes a long time if you're trying to hunt. So you're looking for ways to fill your time. So bok spoig is you find the dung, the feces of the, the kudu antelope, you put it in your mouth and you see who can spit it the farthest. Oh, man. I man. give you antelope dung spitting. <laughs> By the way, the record, which was just set recently, like 10 years ago, is 17 yards. That's over 50 feet that you're spitting kudu antelope dung. That's not the part that I find most shocking. Not the distance, but the fact that someone would put antelope dung into their mouth for any reason, no less sports. And I love when I sports. Was, when I was 12, John, my family, we were climbing the paintbrush divide in the Tetons in Jackson Hole. And we got to the top and we were going to have a snack. And this one guy, Jimmy Riley, who was maybe 18 when I was 12, said, here, Kurt, I got a peanut M&M. Open up. I opened up. He threw it in my mouth. I caught it. It was marmot poop. And were you able to spit it a long distance? Yeah, 18 yards. I just <laughs> beat the kudu antelope. There you go. So, so he was 18 and you were 12. So how old is he today, Kurt? I just saw him last weekend, as a matter of fact. That wasn't the answer to the question. You may have thought I said, Kurt, when did you see him most recently? Mid-60s. Young 60s, <laughs> Kurt. I actually have a kudu story because this is smart dribble. So, of course, I have a kudu story. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to go on an African safari trip with my family a number of years ago. And we had a great ranger who drove us around telling us about all the amazing things we were looking at. And he turned to us and said, do you know how the kudu got its name? And we, of course, had no idea. And we said, how? Yeah. He said, well, they have enormous testicles. And when they run, the two testicles bang together and make a noise that sounds like kudu, kudu, kudu. And that's no. how the animal got its name. And I'm pretty sure he made that up, Kurt. But that is a I'm true, that is a true story. <laughs> He's telling that story right now. There's this time I, he bet his friend that he could get some American tourists Stupid to believe Americans, that that's how yeah. they came up with a name. Um, anyway, we were like, uh, we think he's kidding, but you know, we didn't know him well enough at that point in the trip. Let me give you another absurd sport. By the way, we are going to challenge each other to play each one of these at some oh, point. God. Why don't we pick one at the end and decide which one we're okay. actually going to play? Because well, we're going to have a hard time coming across some kudu around here, <laughs> no less a dung producing kudu in our part of the world. Oh, we All will right. have wine to fling. We can do that. We can totally do that. We can box that. and play chess. So here's a game that, believe it or not, has been around for centuries. A sport, rather. It was invented early in the 17th century in England, where I noticed in my research a lot of absurd sports originated from England. Yeah. But this sport, which is practiced actually in plenty of elementary schools, in the United States, is shin kicking. The two contestants square off and they kick each other in the shins. 
until one of them hits the ground. Yeah. So basically you fracture your shin bone. Yeah. I wonder if there's any restrictions on what kind of footwear, because if you had steel-toed shoes, you could probably win pretty swiftly. So I actually heard about this before. And, you know, many times in the first hundred episodes, I talked about the problem with society. I do, Kurt. Are you going to continue that tradition? I hope not. Well, the problem with society is we're soft. you are. We're soft now because I learned about this when I went to the Cotswolds years ago because it originated in the Cotswolds. And they used to do it. It was this Olympic game type thing. And you would represent your village. And back then, you got hit with steel-tipped shoes. Okay. And the way you prepared for it is you took a hammer and you hammered your shins for like six months to get them strong enough to withstand it. Now, to your point, we have namby-pamby footwear and you're allowed to wear shin guards. Softening of, of mankind or humankind, I should say. They toughened up their shins to yeah. improve their endurance and performance yeah. in the sport of shin kicking. Well, it's funny because <laughs> Newton. I'd like to be an orthopedist in the Cotswolds. Newton went to oh, the and a psychiatrist. Newton went to the Cotswolds and said, listen, I need people to help me figure out calculus and also gravity. And they said, well, listen, we could help you with that or we could get our shins kicked. We're going to go with shins kicked. You know, it hurts to get kicked in the shin. And then this great grandmaster chess player was going to help Newton, but he got he was chess boxing and got a few concussions. God. Okay. People, mankind, pretty creative. And I I think there's got to be a high correlation between parts of the world that drink much more than average and the origin of many of these sports. Okay. So let me give you one coming right off of that. Okay. And I will preface this by saying this is a game that was invented by and played only by my fraternity. In the 70s and 80s, it's now outlawed. And you talk about games that started with drinking. We would have a few beers and it started with, we had, it was called Team Destructo. And <laughs> it started because a lot of fraternity brothers were ski patrol people at the Dartmouth Skiway. So a couple of times a year, they would take one of the trails and close it off to the general public. John, did you ever play Kill the Carrier and Keep Away? Yes. Yes. So that's a normal game. So we did teams kill the carrier, keep away with a football on skis, full contact. How many ACL injuries did players suffer? At least three to four every time we played. I hope you loosen your bindings before the game. So one big play is you'd come run skiing up right next to someone and then you'd lean down and you'd pop them out of their bindings, you'd hit their, their, their brake release and they'd go flying out forward or you would just tackle them. Well, if I remember correctly, back at that time, were there ski brakes or did you still have a, a strap that went around your lower leg if, you're, if your bindings released? Because if you had straps on, not only are you tackling the person, but skis with razor sharp edges were also flying around in the pile. There were no helmets. And no poles, thankfully. No, brakes had just come out. They were the old-fashioned brakes. They had just come out. So am I remembering correctly that 
Sadly, a member of the Kennedy clan died playing a game like this. He went into, he skied into a tree or something. Yes. Did you ever hear of the band, the dead Kennedys? Yeah. That's that's an unfortunate transition there, wasn't it? Yes. But they do relate. I do give you Team Destructo. And you're right. We thought we were unique. The Kennedys were doing it too. Everything we did in my fraternity at Dartmouth, the damn Kennedys did. Yeah, that's why it was informally known as the Kennedy fraternity. That one sounds a little brutal. So I'm going to go to the softer side, although it is much more brutal than it might sound at first blush. Believe it or not, Kurt, there is a semi-pro sports league. I believe it's based in Canada, Toronto, where women engage in pillow fights in the ring. And it sounds like it's a much softer sport, but they basically get in a ring. They start swinging their pillows. And according to Wikipedia, players have suffered concussions, black eyes, lost teeth, split lips, torn muscles, and bruised kidneys. That is some kind of pillow fight they're having. Semi-pro league. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm semi-pro athlete. What do you do? I engage in pillow fights. Is that why you have a black eye and a bruised kidney? Two things. One is you're not allowed to put bricks in a pillowcase like they used to. Yeah, back in the good old days before people were soft. (laughs) Number two, it's now not semi-pro anymore, John. As of this year in America, it is a pro league for both men and women. And you can get in the ring and you, it's, the, it's called the Professional Pillow Fighters League. I can P-P-F-L. see the commissioner of the PFL. All it is, is, is all these things are taking off what kids did anyway and turning it into games, right? They have what's the... <laughs> There's bog snorkeling. I mean, there's yes, crazy games. So I give you one. It's called extreme ironing. Have you heard of this? Uh, sadly, I have. But please tell our listeners about the ridiculous sport of extreme ironing. <laughs> you know what they call themselves? I do not. Ironists. Iron X. Ironists. Ironists. Okay. If they were they- forging iron. With heat and their bare hands, I would be impressed. The name sounds better than they are, but these guys, they're athletes. It's kind of like your chest boxing. They strap an ironing board onto their back. They'll go underwater. They'll go on like ice flows. They'll go up high and climb like a sheer cliff, like like, a half dome. And then they iron. You have to iron as part of this, this sport. Yeah, it's like extreme outdoor adventures, except you're carrying an ironing board and you get to have a freshly pressed shirt wherever you are in the wilderness. I've actually seen pictures of extreme ironers in some exotic extreme place doing a handstand on their ironing board while ironing. Yeah. Why do ironing and extreme outdoor adventures belong together? You know why? Actually, they don't belong together, Kurt. I think... That's what makes it special, John. It is the oxymoronic nature of staying at home, the typical person ironing at home while their spouse is at work, male or female, and sitting there with like whatever servants doing it. You're basically combining two ridiculous things, which is why my next entry, Kurt, is nose picking race car driving. So you're basically driving cars at incredible speeds around the track 
like the Indy 500, but you must have one finger up your nose at all time. And that again combines nose picking and race car driving, just like extreme ironing. That doesn't exist, John. Oh, okay. Is it any less plausible or more plausible than extreme ironing, which does exist? No. Here's one, Kurt, that actually almost makes a little bit of sense. This is absurd, but not nearly as absurd as some of the others we've mentioned. You, of course, have engaged in thumb wrestling, no doubt. Yes. And you know what? Double jointed thumbs I never lost because I'd let them come in and then I double joint up and out. Hang on a second. Double jointed thumbs I've never lost. When did you turn into Yoda? (laughs) Double jointed thumbs I've never lost. I've never lost in thumb wrestling because I have double jointed thumbs. Okay. So I've never lost. I have double jointed thumbs. I'm showing you right here. You know what? I have double jointed middle fingers. So if there were a sport middle finger wrestling, I'd be in business. I'd be an all pro. Okay. So there is this one seems like a relatively rational extrapolation of a more well-known sport, certainly compared to everything else we've talked about. And that is toe wrestling, which again, originated in the UK. I think it was like 1976. So I guess We were celebrating the bicentennial of the country here in the U.S., and the Brits were trying to deal with the fact that it had been 200 years since they lost the colonies. So they invented toe wrestling, where two people get together, lock toes, and they go at it until one toe is pinned, just like thumb wrestling. Which toe? I think it's the big toe. Pinky toe would be even cooler. Did you say Zoom? Schwartz Profigliano before? Uh-huh. I just want to acknowledge that I didn't acknowledge it at the time when we were listing drinking games from our youth, but that's a great combination of words. Zoom Schwartz Profigliano. So thank you for mentioning that. So, Is John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt nearby? You you know, you when you talked about the, the toe wrestling, it made me realize that I get served. Don't ask me what I'm looking at on Instagram. But I get served snippets of face slapping league. Do you know this exists? When you said snippets, I assumed you were going to say you were being served ads for vasectomies. No. (laughs) So tell me more about this sport. Little snippets. So you sit there and you're allowed to hold on to something with your hands and you have to proffer your face. And that your opponent comes and he slap or she slaps you as hard as they can Jeez. across the face. And if you stagger and fall back, you lose. If you take it, then you get to slap your opponent. You know what this reminds me of? That game of was it called Knuckles? Where you were yes. combs? Where you when would take a, a comb. And if you flinched and the comb that you were balancing on knuckles fell off, then your opponent got to scrape your knuckles with the comb. Well, we played bloody knuckles. Game. I think it was called. We played a card game called Knuckles, and if you lost, depending on how many, like if you got four, five, six uh, against you, then your opponent could take the deck of cards and slice off skin oh. of the number of. They would do it. They got to do it one, two, three, four, five, however many times that you uh, had the points against you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't think I want to play Bloody Knuckles or your version of it either anymore. So let's go with one more each, Kurt. 
Oh, boy. I got a bunch of them. But how about this one? Eel pulling. I know eel yanking. Is it the same thing? (laughs) (laughs) It's as slippery. It's a slippery sport. Do you get to wear gloves like NFL receivers to increase your grip? So it doesn't exist anymore. In fact, there was a what huge a riot. There was a huge riot. It's in Amsterdam, Dutch sport that started in Amsterdam. Huge riot in 1886. A two-day riot in which 26 people were killed because the police tried to crack down on, on these guys illegally playing eel pulling. So there's tons of canals in Holland and in Amsterdam, and you strung a rope across the canal, and then across, over the rope, you put a slippery eel, and you went underneath in a boat and tried to grab it as your boat went by, and if you got the slippery eel and got it in, you got to take it home and eat it. That was your prize. Great game. Okay, for my last one. Eel pulling, John. (laughs) Well, I think I'd rather pull taffy, Kurt. So I'm going to, for my last one, Kurt, I'm going to go with a sport that I've actually played that is on the list of absurd sports. I played this in high school. It is the game of underwater hockey. Yes. So you have goals at each end. You have a puck and you use these sticks that are a little bit like knock hockey sticks. And you swim down to the bottom of the pool and you advance the puck toward the other team's goal. Is the puck weighted? The puck is weighted. And it doesn't float because that would make the game a lot easier. But you really can't maintain puck possession for very long unless you're David Blaine and can hold your breath for 17 minutes. So you're constantly going to the surface to breathe. There's not a lot of action in the game of underwater hockey. But I include it here because it's the only one of these things that I have played. Shockingly, I've never played chess boxing. So far. So far. So far. Now, I think what we're realizing with this episode, and it could go on and we're going to stop here, but basically humans throughout history, it's not just when leisure time came about in the 1950s, have looked to create games. To your point, we will go to extreme and absurd lengths to compete with one another and entertain ourselves, even if it puts life and limb at risk. That is so important to us. I think you could take four to six people, put them in a room and say, okay, come up with a game. Not only will they come up with a game in 10 minutes, they will have probably 30 to 50 rules all set of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. All right. So we'll leave it there, Kurt. We like to play. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Kurt and I will be back next week with another brand new episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your week is filled with Smart Dribble. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Ciao. Goodbye.